One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. If football is a gentleman's game played by thugs, and rugby is a thugs game played by gentlemen, then where exactly does that leave cricket? Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Podcast. Hi Murph, hi Ken. Hello there, Owen. It's a gentleman's game played by gentlemen, surely. Well, not necessarily, Murph. Hello, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? How are you doing? I know you've got a new microphone stand there you're getting used to, so we'll just... That was why you are a little bit slow on the mic there to start things off, but you're comfortable. Yes, okay go on. Where, where are we at? Cricket? Australia completed a comfortable victory in the first test of the Ashes in Brisbane this morning. The headlines around the bizarre behaviour of England wicketkeeper Johnny Bairstow earlier in the tour. Reports surfaced yesterday during the match that Bairstow was being investigated over a late-night incident from earlier in the tour, a few weeks back, in which he allegedly headbutted Australian batsman Cameron Bancroft. And Bancroft, after the match, was one of the players fielding questions in the post-match press conference along with his captain, Steve Smith. He confirmed that there was a headbutt. The circumstances are rather bizarre. Describing how his Western Australian team and a group of players from the England team crossed paths on a night out a few weeks ago, Bancroft said, I got into a very amicable conversation with Johnny, and yeah, he just greeted me with a headbutt kind of thing. I was expecting a handshake. It wasn't the greeting of choice that I was expecting. That was the way I took it. There was certainly no malice in his actions, and we continued on having very good conversations for the rest of the evening. At the time, he said sorry. For me, it was just really weird. It was so random. I didn't expect it coming. A handshake or a hug is something I would have expected more than a headbutt. Which is true. We would all expect a mm. person to greet you with a handshake. A hug might be a bit much. He is a rival. He is somebody you might yeah. come up against later on. But at this point of the press conference, things began to get a little bit farcical. Worth bearing in mind that Bancroft was making his test debut. So this is the first time facing the media. And this is the kind of stuff that he has a bad away. Could you perhaps define, maybe on a 1 to 10 basis, the difference between what happened to you and a headbutt? Oh, he, he connected uh, with my head. <laughs> and, um, you know, with a with a force that would make me sort of think, like, wow, that's a bit weird. Yeah, not the kind of question he was expecting to be asked, possibly after scoring the winning runs in the Nash's first test. Here's another one. No, he didn't, like, knock me over. I've actually got the heaviest head in the uh, West Australian (laughs) squad. It's been measured. Um, There's an actual measurement for it. So, uh, yeah, just took the blow quite well and then moved on from it. 
and mercifully, there ended the exchange. But I, don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. This is my point. This, how did this nonsense ever end up being discussed? I mean, if it, it clearly it wasn't. It was some type of jocular, you know, lads, lads greeting. These guys don't know each other. Mm. They're not friends. But They're potentially going to be opponents. It, it wasn't like a, a, a proper headbutt that would. I mean, you're not going to be forgiving somebody for headbutting you if it's a if it's a headbutt. I mean, is it some type of you know, little, it's a below the pain threshold type of. That's still a very weird way to greet somebody that you don't know. I would yeah. argue, or even somebody you do know. In first contact, should be with, you know, <laughs> with the, the hand <laughs> yeah. in the form of a handshake. <laughs> even if that turns into or a, hug. a slap on the back. Yeah, perhaps. yeah. Instigating contact with your head, Ken. No, you find that normal. <sighs> See, this is the beauty of international sport, though, Ken. You know that two massively different cultures, like the English and, and the Australian cultures, mm-hmm. come together. <laughs> And, you know, obviously there can sometimes be misunderstandings. <laughs> you know, people just getting the, you know, the wrong end of the stick here. But that's all that's happened. Bearstow you know? is going around heading people, headbutting people and greeting all the time. Yeah, around that's what England. he does all the time at home. <laughs> you know, hello, Johnny Bearstow. <laughs> <laughs> so is he out of Pleasure the, to meet he's you. not out of the game? No, he't not. No, no, I don't no. know. It Who even brought it to anyone's attention? How did it, how did it even get out? It's the, the media. The Fox yeah. Fox News brought up, and that, that was another question. There, there, some people are wondering, Ooh, why did you bring that up in the middle of a test match? That's going to mean poor old Bearstow is going to get a bit of heat from the Australians, which he was already getting during the match yeah. because they would have been aware of the story, I'm Who's sure. Who's winning the Ashes? There's been one match again and that was comprehensively won by Australia this morning. Oh, fair play. Yeah, it? just the one match so far. One, one, one alleged headbutt that we know of in greeting mm. and that's been the sum total of what's gone on for the last few weeks. So I don't know where we put cricket in that thug gentleman diagram. It's, isn't that in the original... Is not in the original? Um, oh, is it? Is there a longer yeah, quote it's than a, It's a four-way oh. matrix. It's a four-way matrix. Uh, is is cricket not a gentleman's game played by gentlemen? I thought that was the third one. No, that was I, 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 it was just three. Some, American football is a beast game played by beasts. Was oh. that it? Okay, maybe yeah. It's a four-way matrix. Uh, well, either way, uh, they may have to adjust that now that people are going around headbutting each other as forms of greeting. Shane Horgan and Dennis Hickey are on rugby duty today. I'm sure both would have been impressed with Jacob Stockdale's contribution to Ireland's third win from the November Internationals, this one against Argentina. And we're going to chat to Paul Kerrigan today, Murph, of Cork and Nemo Rangers. Gaelic football. A ge- no, never mind. <laughs> a gentleman's game played by gentlemen. Yes, that's the one that my father told me, actually. Oh, really? the, the, that was the third one in the whole scene. But uh, yeah, Paul Kerrigan uh, has been for quite a while uh, Cork's best footballer. Um, and even this year, actually, funnily enough, when we, well, actually, for the last two seasons, really, we've all sat down to watch Cork and wondered what the hell is going on with Cork football. And even throughout all that, Paul Kerrigan has been pretty bloody good uh, for Cork. But he's had a, a strange kind of career in that he started playing for Nemo, I think, in 2005 and had three Munster titles, won inside five years and had also won an, uh, an Ireland with Cork in that time, playing in Ireland, club, uh, Ireland finals, Ireland semi-finals. So a lot of success very early on, and then not so much since then. So that was their first Munster club final uh, win since 2010. So I would say the, the, the enjoyment you get after winning something uh, as big as that, after having won a glut of them as a young player and not again for six or seven years, that's a pretty sweet feeling, I would say. Loads of brilliant stuff on the World Service last week. Ronan O'Gara's move to New Zealand was discussed as Champions League football show and we invited our members to uncomfortably challenge their views on one of the all-time sporting heroes, one of our sporting heroes, Muhammad Ali. 
there were a couple of allegations of physical violence. There was also an accusation of um, an affair with a girl who was a minor. You know, very serious allegations, and, and it was difficult for me to accept that this guy who was my childhood hero behaved that way. A lot of these allegations were raised at the time when Ali yeah. was at the peak of his fame, and they seemed to have no impact on his popularity. He, he was somehow able to float above all of this. You know, it, it certainly changed my feelings about him, mm-hmm. and, um, and my feelings about him are much more complicated. There are things about him that I love more than I than I loved before, and there are certainly things that I dislike intensely. That's the writer and author Jonathan Eig, who spent five years working on this brilliant new book on Muhammad Ali. Perhaps if you join up to the World Service and listen to Jonathan, your Ali world might be turned a little bit upside down for the full story. Become a World Service member at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month plus VAT. You'll also have missed us playing the greatest rendition of Aaron Nevian of all time, if you're not a member. I can see you wincing there, Murph. That should come with a warning. Visibly wincing, it probably should. Yeah, That's from Madison Square Garden, 1984. Had a Sean Mannion's world title fight. His sister stepping up to the plate when nobody else was available to sing at Oscar Elga. Got the job done anyway. And the the fight went ahead. In a manner of speaking, yes. (laughs) To listen to all of our shows, including all of next week's live extravaganza at the Liberty Hall with US Murph and superstar guests. You can become a member of the World Service and support what, Murph? Uh, Independent, commercial free journalism. Independent journalism. That's the one, yeah. It's usually commercial free independent journalism, isn't it? But either way, on you know what we're supporting. This November series has been notable for the arrival of a potentially world class Irish wing on the international scene, and we've got two of those on the show today. Shane Horgan, how are you? Oh, very good. Dennis, good to chat to you. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, good to speak to you too. I guess the value, Dennis, of this series has been about these Jacob Stockdale and, and these other new names kind of coming to the fore, more, more so than the results. Were you, were you a bit disappointed that it was only really Fiji who gave us any sort of a game over three matches? Um, well, like I, I think, I think the the um, the performance of, of of Ireland, obviously, two two quite different teams that Ireland fielded in in, in the um, Argentina and South Africa game versus probably what they fielded in Fiji, so which probably distorted it somewhat. But like I think, I think Ireland got a good game in in um, good games in all those in all those um, matches. I think. Um, you know what's more important—the results or unearthing players. So I think it's probably both, really. You know, I think if we're if we're sitting here talking about our, uh, uh, an Ireland loss, yeah. we're having a different conversation. I think it's a, it's a luxury the fact that Ireland could win and in the process unearth uh, some players onto the international scene. And I think that's one of the, the key hallmarks of Joe Schmidt's uh, tenure is that he is able to bring in. Make make big changes really, you know. Going into this series, he had, you know ten or eleven of what you could describe as first choice uh, or previously first choice players not available or not selected for, for one. And to see guys like Stockdale come through and, and perform so well, not just you know in, in one game, but in all the games he played and and um, uh, along with some other new players, I think is you know hugely encouraging for them. Shane, there were some very Joe Schmitty type quotes from Joe Schmidt after the match. He was asked about the man who scored two tries, including one incredible arcing run to the to the corner. And he said, yeah, yeah, not bad. But at the same time, Stockdale was a little bit hesitant defensively at times. And he, trying to win those aerial battles was a battle for him. He'll get some confidence, I hope, but also he'll get motivation to try to improve in what he delivered. The real satisfaction for me was Chris Farrell's performance. I thought he was super. What did you make of those quotes? Um, I think yeah, Chris Farrell was super, and I was glad to see him get an opportunity in 
uh, uh, an Irish team that didn't have the wholesale changes um, because it's quite different coming into a side when it's like against Fiji where there's you know 13 changes and where you have an existing group of players that have played for Ireland quite a while and coming in and, and then shining in that. I think it's an easier it's easier to shine in the in the latter, but it's if you do. Um, I think it, it sort of it uh, it shows a little bit more and it really puts you in the head of a coach. And I think um, maybe the expectations that Joe had for for um, for Farrell were weren't maybe as high as Stockdale. And also, I think Stockdale is um, without doubt very very comfortable and is likely to be first choice wing. I think come uh, the Six Nations. So Joe does his normal. Um, post-match uh, interview of kicking the uh, air a little <laughs> bit out of the young player that's come through and had an absolute stormer. Yeah. I think he's going to be he's going to be um, key though to Joe Smith, you know, in the Six Nations and in uh, up to the World Cup and probably Joe's, as he often does, very often his uh, comments after the after the game aren't so much uh, messages uh, for the benefit of us, but are, are for in, our internal messaging, and I think that's. That's one of the cases. Yeah, and clearly yeah, he's, I, he's I very just, good at that. I think Dennis, that yeah. on that one, I just, um, I think Stockdale is very comfortable with the ball in hand. He's very comfortable getting the ball kicked down to him. He probably coming new into this setup, you know, it's one of the features being uh, of the back three has has there has been the ability uh, to to regain the ball in the air. Going back to Tommy Bow, um, uh, Zebo, obviously Keith Earls, they're very much in the, in that Joe Schmidt pattern. And Stockdale maybe a little more hesitant. Uh, not as successful in claiming the ball going forward as Irish wingers have been under Joe Schmidt's reign. So, you know, I think he called it out publicly, but, uh, you know, I think there was more than, the, the, it, it, it was a message, but I think there was a substance to it as well. Do you think, though, Joe Schmidt sort of fears when players score more than one try in a game? Because <laughs> I know when Craig Gilroy, I think he scored three tries yeah. a couple of years ago, and Joe absolutely hammered him after the game. I, he hasn't really picked him after, so of course there's substance in what he's saying, but... Do you think there's something about his personality that he just fears too much flash or too many tries from one person? Well, I think that um, I think in, in a press conference environment, uh, and I think that's really what, he, what he's responding to in a press conference environment. Um, you know, there's there's lots of questions about uh, let's say like Stockdale after a performance like that and how fantastic he is and is going to be great and you know what you what you think of the performance. So, I think the natural reaction is. Is Joe Smith has seen this player more than just in one game against one one uh, opposition. He's seen him in training. He's seen him play week in, week out for Ulster. He's done a lot of work with him, and you know I think he's happy to acknowledge somebody has done well. The obvious bit is 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 what you see. You know the positives. I think Joe's job is to look at past that. So yeah, maybe his form in that, and I think a lot of coaches do try and dump it. Then he seems to be at the he seems to be the vanguard of uh, of doing it. But I think every I think every coach does it to some extent. You know and. Uh, he just seems to um, uh, be overly uh, uh, pr- protective of it, but um, you know he's he's been consistent for every player that's come in. As Shane says, uh, since they've come into the to, in, in into his squad while he's while he's been coach, and uh, I don't think that's going to change. Shane, forget about Joe for a second. We're allowed to get excited about this guy, and I I want to see the flash. I want to see more of those finishes like he had for the second try. And I, funny enough, on the basics, okay, maybe defensively or or under the high ball, there's a bit of work to do, but. Made a couple of good hits. His kicking is strong. He manufactured one kick in the first half from with no angle on the left touchline. Managed to get it from 22 into the opposing half. So there's plenty there to work. We can get excited, can't we? Yeah, I'm unbelievably excited by him. <laughs> I, and it's, I think it's coming across almost too much. And uh, because he is so young, he's, he has lots to learn, but not that much to learn. And that's the that's what it seems to me. The core... Um, 
you know, bits of his game are certainly in place. And he also has this sort of elite level of uh, performance. Like the line he took for the try was was superb. He is, uh, I know, you know, Joe mentioned afterwards he's done a couple of things that he wasn't happy defensively. I actually, over the course of the two games, I only really saw one time that I thought he, he wasn't in, in great position. Or maybe two times he wasn't in great position. He got, he got into... Uh, he got his body into a poor position in the first half where he ended up having to sort of almost run backwards. And that's never a position uh, you want to be in when, when uh, trying to chase down a winger. Um, so and there was another time um, later on in the game as well where he made a little bit of decision to come up and in when he could have bought a, a, himself a bit more time. But, you know, if, if you look at when Conway came on, he actually made two really substantial errors. Uh, made decisions that that sort of led to tries. So from that perspective of the wings that had come through, I think defensively he was the most sound. Where Dennis's point on on um, regathering the kick, are uh, are um, from either from nine or from ten, he traced really hard. It's something that Joe um, wants is to not be bullied in the in the way through to to actually allow yourself to to compete and jump. And very often I think he got to the the point of the of the jump but uh, without being bullied but then when he was in the air he managed to get a little knocked off a little bit or, or unbalanced so he couldn't come down with the ball so it was very often he was getting a hand to it or, or even two hands to it but the ball was either being knocked forward or knocked back and Joe was very specific on that that he wants that ball taken he was I remember when you know he was coaching me he was like if you get a hand to it you should be able to catch the ball so you know, I think dominating that area around him that Dennis pointed out that our, our, a lot of our wingers are good at doing, they hang in the air for a long time and really clear out the area and uh, allow the, allows them to be the dominant person in the air and win the ball. I think that's certainly an area that he can improve on. But just simple things like in the game against South Africa, it, all, it, it actually led to, I think it led to um, to one of the tries near the end, where the, the or the last try, where the ball was turned over. He picked it up. And immediately he shifted his weight from his uh, inside to his outside. And he didn't think about kicking the ball. He just immediately thought about making the break and got a handoff. And then he was almost about to get another handoff. And he could have gone 50 metres and scored a try if that if he had have, uh, just been able to complete it. But felt very, very comfortable, very, very positive, very strong. And the line that he ran uh, for his try and what he did after... Uh, after he made the breakthrough against um, Argentina, was incredible. Mm. The line was, you know, wasn't an overly complex move. It was very bad defending by Argentina, but I was more impressed impressed when he went through the gap. You could see in his eyes all lit up, and he almost started smiling. And then instinctively, he went to uh, went to the outside. He never thought about, you know, is there anyone else I can pass the ball to? Should I step on the inside? Should I look for? Um, some support. It's no, I'm going to finish the try it, and that, you know, that couple, that instinct for the finishing line, coupled with all the other basics that I spoke about, I think make him uh, make him the most exciting winner to come on since uh, come on the on the scenes in Zebo. Shane, you mentioned the way you're talking about Chris Farrell earlier. I'm going to take it that you think he's probably not going to be starting in the Six Nations. There's just too much competition there with the likes of Henshaw, Aki, Ringrose, McCluskey. I see Schmidt was talking about Jared Payne not writing him out of things either after the match. Yeah, there's there's a huge amount of um, of talent now in the centre, and it's pro- it was one of the areas that uh, I thought we were you know we might struggle in. Uh, you know the the back three as well. I think we could probably do with another one there. I think in the front row as a uh, we've we've developed you know deeper resource, but we could we I think we could do with another. We could do with Sean Cronin, you know, being at his very best and uh, having his having his um, lineout game to such a degree that there's not a stress, and then you'd feel a little bit more comfortable in that area. Um, but the the centres was one that you know coming in here, you're thinking, well, 
um, without uh, Henshaw and uh, with Ringrose not playing, then you know it looks a bit sparse. But um, you know Chris Farrell um, has been performing, I think, consistently for for um, for Munster this year. But I think he did take himself to another level. Um, again, you know his awareness for the. Uh, for the line that he ran uh, to put Sexton through the through the hole for Stockdale's first try, it was a, a brilliant line, and his hands were incredibly soft. Like to do that, to execute that skill, it was ex- extremely difficult, and and he uh, seemed to do it uh, with ease. Uh, you know, and he was fairly. I think he was pretty comfortable in defence as well. Uh, probably a little bit more comfortable coming uh, with a fast line speed when they have numbers. Then when their numbers down, but that's I think a consistent team. Uh, throughout the Ireland, uh, through uh, through the Ireland squad over the course of the three games, they're very comfortable when they have time to slow down the ball and and um, get a proper strong defensive line with you know twelve or thirteen in it. But when their numbers down, they can tend to make sort of risky um, risky decisions. Now I thought he was in that he was in that mode a couple of times in that he was coming straight up when he could have drifted. But on the whole, I thought it was a you know a very very positive performance for him, and he starts. You know, I don't think he's he's in a situation where he's a, a starter for the first game of the Six Nations, or he, he set that in stone. But you know, if he, he will certainly be in Joe's mind, and how things progress for all the centres over the next two months uh, will inform that decision more so than. Uh, something that's definitively in Joe's mind from past experiences. I think he's opened it up, and if he continues on and Munster have a very good two months, and he personally has a couple of a good couple of months, then you know who's to say he wouldn't be picked. Dennis, outside of selections and knowing how much depth we have, did Ireland learn, and did Joe Schmidt and Andy Farrell learn anything specific tactics-wise? Say, for example, the way Argentina came back into it, a couple of chips through the flaws of our rush defence, or was there anything you saw that Ireland could have learned from in terms of our own flaws that we need to work on? Um, I suppose it's it, it was difficult, um, certainly in the first match, South Africa match, because uh, South Africa was completely outplayed and they didn't ask a lot of questions of uh, of Ireland. Then you go to the Fiji game, you kind of you know a lot of inexperience, a lot of uh, you know a lot of new combinations. So um, I think they would have been happy with the relative robustness of the of, of their systems. I think Argentina match probably the most to learn because you had what was you know the the, the you know the first string team in the match, and I think. And I think, um, and Shane alluded to in an, in an article of the weekend that he that he wrote, is that the disappointing thing would have been the lack of of a ruthlessness in the second half. I think there was a feeling, probably certainly was feeling those were in the ground and watching the match that you know Ireland were going to come out and just steamroll Argentina. Argentina were going to get tired, and um, I think there was, you know. Uh, what happens in what's said in the change room and what's the perception outside is obviously very different and is usually very different. But there seemed to be maybe a little bit of a of a, a feeling that Ireland were going to just pick off where they left off in the, at the end of that first half. And Argentina have been through a long season, but they've been very good at um, at uh, uh, keeping the game tight up to the last ten minutes. They've run out of steam most in a lot of the championship games, uh, which ultimately is kind of what happened to them. But but they came back into the game very strongly, and I think. Judgment and and his team would be disappointed with how you know Ireland lacked a, a ruthless streak and they weren't able to create the same sort of um, uh, pace and temper to the game and 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 certainly commit a lot more errors in that second half than they had in the first. So I think in 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 a way that a co- coaches are often can be often satisfied by three wins, but an imperfect ending to the series because it gives them a lot to build on and to kind of hammer the team uh, during the during the squad sessions going into the Six Nations that they didn't finish perfectly. There was a lot of things certainly in that last, in the second half, in that last game 
that will stick in players' minds going into the preparation of the Six Nations. And I think things that lack of ruthlessness that they were able to show in the first half but not carry through throughout the game and when the changes were made in the second half, um, it didn't very often, you know, the, the people coming off the bench uh, lift the tempo a little bit and tighten things up, but but they weren't really able to do that as as effectively in in in, in that second half in Argentina. So there'll be plenty for them to build build on. I'd be probably happy to have that material to do so. Shane um, Rob Carney, according to Raj, was man of the match, and I saw a lot of that people saying that in the papers as well. A lot of the journalists were saying that um, uh, one of his best games for years. And I was I was actually watching him during the game and thinking he sort of had a new attitude to. The way he was playing, I may be reading too much into this, but a guy who's had a load of injuries, been out, been doubted by lots of people, um, has come back and he sort of has this attitude of, well, I don't know how many more years I have here. I've got selected. This is my chance. I'm not going to play within myself. He really went at things. Really, When he went, he took a line, he really went for it. He kind of rode through a lot of tackles. He was very progressive in his style of play, more than I can remember for a couple of years. Now, he is a big game player. We know that, but... It was more that his style of play that really surprised me, kind of a little more, I don't know if it's carefree or just more focused or something like that, but I definitely, I sensed a change in Rob Carney in this game and in this series. Um, it, he's, he's never um, carefree in, um, in doing the um, sort of basics well, and his game is always rooted on those, and, and I think that's why... Joe finds such comfort, and all coaches find such comfort in having him at fullback because he's a very low um, stake player. And at international level, that's vital. And as a 15, it's even more vital. So he barely ever drops a ball. He covers the backfield impeccably. He's a very, very good last line of defence in tackler, as a tackler. But I think you're right in that he doesn't always, or, you know, Certainly, in in maybe aside from the really big games, and he ha- has you know you think of how he delivered uh, against New Zealand, you know that performance against South Africa, and but he's been he's been had those throughout at, at kind of crucial points of his career. He's always been able to deliver a huge performance. But you know the, I suppose the the um, criticism is that um, he doesn't uh, attack the line a little enough. He doesn't maybe take the risk of taking on players. But I I think. It's very much at, um, attached to his injury profile because when I see him, and even I saw him again, uh, even against South Africa, I see him when he when he was taking the ball into contact or trying to take the space, take the ball into space and, and be tackled in contact. He went down very, very easily, and that's the only criticism I'd have of, of Rob's game over the year that he sometimes uh, he doesn't generate generate his power low enough. His central gravity is a little higher than say someone like you know Brian O'Driscoll who keeps very low. And could like power through the tackle, where Rob tended to get stopped, you know, right on, uh, right on the tackle point, and then it would be, you know, he'd get the ball back, but it's hard to, it's, it's sort of a momentum uh, sapper. But that just wasn't the case. Uh, we haven't seen so much of it spinning around the tackles as, as we did earlier on in his career. But this is that agility you can go when you get a bit older. But um, what we did see is his running into gaps with real uh, conviction and and real authority. And when he does that. Um, those he does he ends up breaking the tackles and he doesn't get stopped uh, um, at the first point of contact and that sort of changes everything that Ireland do because every you know when Ireland are at their best and they're doing their loop plays and their more sophisticated interplays between forwards and backs they're able to do that because they slow the opposition um, defensive line coming forward because of how they take the ball into contact and the forward momentum they gain so it kind of it changes the entire way Ireland play 
And, you know, it, it actually, I think it encourages him because you, you often when you see him make one or two of those breaks early in the game, then that's the, um, that's the hallmark for the rest of his performance. And he'll take more and more risk and he'll take more and more uh, carries. And, and I think um, I, I prefer seeing him, him run than kick, but he has got that game as well. Um, what, what he will need to do is have a little bit of discussion with his back three because, um, you know, the, the tries against Argentina came as a result of him being dragged out of position or, you know, just having to transfer position and the backfield being left a little bit um, a little bit open. Now, that wasn't his fault. That was the fault of, you know, the sweeper. I think, you know, Conor Murray was in the line for one of them, couldn't get back to the sweeper position quickly enough. And the other, Stockdale hadn't um, uh, identified that. Um, I think it was Adam Bird or Conway had pulled up and he needed to, to uh, really take... Um, um, the position of, of Carney. So, you know, there's work to be done with the other players, but him as an individual, I think, you know, we, he's very, very comfortable and goes into six stations again for the umpteen time as our, as our number 115 and someone who's very important uh, to the Irish team and the way that Joe Smith plays. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, Dennis. I have to say, some of the analysis afterwards was, uh, it was a little, some of the commentary afterwards was a little bit annoying all this kind of, oh, people doubted Rob Kearney and, and another one in the eye for the critics and all that kind of stuff, as though it's not fair to question a player who has had spells over the years where he hasn't done much or hasn't been as, has maybe been a bit too cautious in his game. I mean, I know it's fine to be a big game player, but it almost seems as though there's there's an idea out there that you can't criticise these guys when, when they aren't playing well. I suppose the, it's a long-winded way of asking, why can't he be more like he was yesterday, more often? Well, I think Shay talked about it already. I think he has had a pretty horrific um, run of injuries. Uh, it's very difficult to put... Um, back-to-back games together well, especially the timing of his injury. Certainly when you get injured in the middle of the year and you try, you're battling to get back, you may be 100%, you may not be 100%, you miss out in camps, you know, you have to uh, play in games that um, you try and get match fit and maybe you're right and maybe you're not. I think the, I think what um, Rob has really benefited from this year is having a good pre-season, an injury-free pre-season. He's come back playing for Leinster um, uh, very strongly. And I think... I think um, I think he's he's also um, at a stage in his career where he's very comfortable being a senior player, and I think you know he was playing in a back line uh, where you know the three quarters, the boat wingers and centres between them at five caps. Mm-hmm. So um, I think he was very much probably uh, as his personality very comfortable with responsibility, very comfortable being um, the kind of old head in the back line, um, kind of directing things at the back and sometimes that brings out the best in players some some players aren't comfortable with that they just want to play their own game but i think rob is at a stage and an age in his career where he's absolutely comfortable to step up and uh, and play that role and that probably brought the best out of him because he was trying to really lead uh, in every action that he took and every ball that he caught and uh, and every run he made he was trying to you know lead some of those younger younger or less experienced players around him to to kind of show them the way in a tight match and uh, so I think I think he was very comfortable playing in that role I think that's probably maybe got him an extra couple of percent that extra responsibility uh, really suited him and uh, he responded really well to it and so from Joe Schmidt's perspective I'm sure he's very happy because as Shane says he always does the basics right but the fact that he's he's um, kind of come back into this season mm. and is playing so well uh, uh, from a counter-attacking and atta- an attacking perspective is great but um, it doesn't mean that he's immune from criticism and he's taken plenty of it from lots of different quarters um, but every player goes to that. If, when you have a, a career as long as uh, long as Rob's, you, you don't play 
you know, it's very, very rare that you're playing to your best every year, year in, year out, because you're carrying injuries, you're carrying knocks, you have a dip in form, you could be tired. There's lots of different things, line stories you kind of hang over from. I think the most important thing is is how well he's he's uh, he played at the weekend and he's clearly benefited from having a good run in. I think it's great for, great for him and really great for Ireland. Shane, just a quick word on the results probably of the whole November really which was Scotland absolutely smashing Australia although Australia did have a player sent off the more points they were piling on the more giddy talk there was in the BBC commentary box of a possible Six Nations title do you think that is within Scotland's capabilities or a little too soon? Well you know I've been um, talking about Scotland for the last four years and they've made me an idiot every year because I always think you know this is Scotland's year and uh, they never quite deliver although um, certainly last year they, they had a number of good results. Um, I think they are getting to the point, um, you know, not necessarily I don't think they're going to win the Six Nations, uh, but they can <laughs> certainly derail the Six Nations for, you know, one of the two favourites in, in uh, England and in England and Ireland. Um, Scotland are probably, you know, probably third favourites at the moment. It was a, a pretty incredible result. It wasn't one that, I, that it wasn't, it certainly wasn't giving from Australia because, um Ronan uh, O'Gara, I was speaking to him um, before the game and he was saying he was talking to uh, Steve um, or Chris Larkham and, and was saying that, um, you know, they really were putting it on the line because they wanted to finish the year in, in good stead and they, you know, they were really up for it. So it all went horrifically wrong uh, from, from, our, our, um, from an Australian perspective, even though, uh, you know, they had a man sent off, but, um, you know, I was watching it before the Ireland game and uh, the the tackling was just ab- absolutely pathetic. But um, Scotland were rampant at the same time. So, uh, you know, if you look at this uh, whole series from an Ireland perspective, I think on the pitch they were slightly above par. Um, I think the uh, from player development, uh, I, I think they were well above par and it was, you know, would have been seen as a very successful um, November uh, um, a series. The worst thing to come out of this is that Scotland have played really well, had a great result against uh, Australia, had a very strong result against New Zealand, and would be buoyant going into the Six Nations. And it, I'm not sure if it changes um, anything, you know, from an Ireland perspective for, for Scotland. It probably changes their mindset and gives them a little bit more belief. And sort of drawing on my, my own and myself and Dennis's careers. You know, getting a win against a uh, Southern Hemisphere team or one of the big three in uh, in uh, in November, you know, changes how you go into a Six Nations, and it gives you, especially for a team like Scotland who haven't had success, and that uh, sort of brings them psychologically onto a different level when they come back to the Six Nations. So it makes them much more difficult. And you know, let's not even talk about uh, the World Cup yet. No, we'll leave that for the time being. Shane, Dennis, brilliant. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Thanks. Bye bye. the final and on it again and he oh what about that send him off send the dirty get off get him off the field that was diabolical get him off the field that's just typical what he is get him walking they don't like it walk it Campbell you've got it in bottle if you've got it in bottle Campbell it should walk that was absolute diabolical that should be sent off He's going to be on a card. A card speak. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the dirty guys off. You ball is dead, Campbell. A card speak.
After one of the many Scottish tries against Australia, the Scottish co-commentator on BBC, I think, I think it was Chris Patterson, uttered the line, night, night, no biscuit. Murph, you're the all duck, no dinner man. I think Never I know what one. night, night, no biscuit means. Well, I would say so, but I mean, I, I haven't heard the one in question. You haven't heard this particular phrase. Idiom, just, yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah Game no over, biscuit. I'm thinking. I, I, well, I have in my mind, you know, a tin of shortcake biscuits with a sort of a tartan design on the front. <laughs> That's the biscuit that we're talking about here. You've been sent to bed without any supper. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. That's what it's about. No supper for the Aussies. Simon, were you, are you afraid of the Scottish Challenge coming our way? Both in the Six Nations next year and the World Cup? Because that was, when that draw was made, we're thinking, well, you know, Scotland will beat them. And... There's also Japan drawing with France. All of a sudden, our pudding of a World Cup group doesn't look like quite so much of a pudding. Yeah, or the Six Nations is a lot easier. Well, France certainly look terrible at the moment, obviously. Um, I think it's interesting that Gregor Townsend has taken Glasgow from just a no-mark of a franchise with no fans, no culture, no good no players. Club, no really. style of, yeah, yeah, just yeah, like an irrelevance. <laughs> yeah. Just something the Scottish Union were trying to fill a gap with to uh, filling stadiums, new stadium, um, a brilliant style of play, a certain type of player, um, the most entertaining team probably in in that in that league. Um, and I think he might be, along with Joe, the best... Well, Eddie Jones as well, actually. If you look at the three guys who said no to the Lions, Eddie Jones, Joe Schmidt, and Gregor Townsend, and it was to focus on their country. And now Wales are struggling, you know, Gatland every four years disappears for a year and then sort of comes back to a messy situation with Wales <laughs> yeah. and they seem to have slipped off the radar even more. I think Scotland have moved ahead of Wales um, and I think they'll beat either Ireland or England in this championship. I don't see them being consistent enough yet but they're going to score loads of tries and they're going to make it l- like the Six Nations way more exciting to look at now. They did. Uh, the Australian prop was sent off with was it late in the first half early in the second half there was a hell of a lot of time to go so that should be borne in mind when you Mm. see the extent of the scoreline but they were already the game was going that way well the game was it was hard to know because it was the scoreline was close at the time but Australia were a little bit lucky in in how they were in it at that point but the point I was going to make was just how ruthless Scotland were like a lot of teams have not won against 14 men or have made heavy weather of it. There's a breaking down period. Scotland just went crazy from the start of the 14 versus 15 and were absolutely clinical uh, for, the, for the most part. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, what would you have up. said about Scotland five years ago if they were playing against 14 men? They would probably lose They would have lost yeah, their yeah. heads. They would have gone, we have to score loads of tries. We have to convert every chance. Let's put these guys away. And it puts a different sort of pressure on the team with 15 men because they go, well, we have no excuses to lose this game now. Mm. Where Scotland were quite relaxed with the whole thing. And they'd lost Hogg just before the game, their best player. There was a 16th Munster title for Nemo Rangers yesterday. I would hazard a guess they haven't won too many of those as underdogs, though. Paul Kerrigan, congratulations on the win. Yeah, yeah, thanks very much. Um, I suppose, yeah, we were underdogs. You're fairly probably well written off. and That's no disrespect to, to Croke. Like, they were obviously all Ireland champions, but that was a really nice way to win it, you know, and to keep adding, I suppose, to our role of honour is, 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 is was pretty nice. It also must have been pretty nice to be written off. I mean, that's just that's just perfect, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think any time when we were being written off, even in the Cork County Championship, we generally come up trumps. And uh, I was just re- really, really confident going into the game that we could turn them over and get a 
result and uh, panned out that way. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that history, and it is an extraordinary history that Nemo has, uh, it can be a pressure sometimes. But uh, when you go into a game as 11-4 to 4 underdogs, I think you were with some bookies, I'd say it can really focus the minds of a group. I mean, like, it's kind of a, listen, we're fucking Nemo Rangers here, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose, yeah, you're right. Uh, like, we would have been putting that up on the wall or anything like that. But uh, just, like, I suppose we, county champions, like, you know, um, on a good run, Crokes are obviously after, kind of, they're, in, they're a long way around, they haven't lost a game in, I don't know, it was 14 games or something like that. And uh, obviously it was on in Park Ring as well, so... We were obviously very confident, very, very, really confident playing in the home venue, and and just it was kind of a feeling as well. Like we knew we had to play well to win, and, and that's kind of a good feeling going into a big game. You know, you know, if you have to play well to win, and I think the whole team played well, which was was really satisfying. You could have been going off to play international rules, but I understand you decided to stick around for the for the Munster campaign. Was that? Uh, a tricky decision to make for you was it fairly straightforward yeah, uh, it's fairly straightforward like generally there, I don't think there's anyone who's ever really missed club champion for the international rules like there, there's always fellas pulled out I suppose I, I was lucky enough to make the 22 and then the day after the county I obviously had to ring Joe Joe Kernan and uh, he, he was straightforward enough like you know he obviously comes from a very very story club himself in, in Crossman Glen so he, he was completely understood but uh, obviously got it to miss out like you know a trip of a lifetime um, and you know put a lot into it trying to make the squad but um I suppose, look, as I said, no one has ever missed kind of a club game, I don't think, for the international rules, and I didn't really want to be the first for the there, and obviously it's all worth it now. It's a particularly, you know, the, I guess part of the reason you're underdogs, aside from the opposition, was that the club hasn't been as successful as you had been in previous years. So I guess that makes days like yesterday even more worth savouring for you now, Paul, at, the, at this stage, that you can get your back to that kind of a level. Yeah, definitely. I suppose like we obviously won the county this year, we won it in twenty fifteen, but for the last five or so years, like we've lost the final, we've lost two semi finals, you know what I mean? So we're always there thereabouts, but you're right, like it is really a one to saver. Um geez, even the older people in the club were, were really, really happy with, with the win, like and you know, it was, it was a real good championship win to, to dig that out and um you're right, they're there to be savoured, look and as our management said to us, like you, you don't know, you might win a county for years and end, and like we've won a monster now, and go on to the All Ireland series. Like you just have to try to take the opportunities when they arise. So we'll be looking forward to Christmas now in February. Is that the ultimate barometer of what the out lads of the club have to say to you after a success? <laughs> Probably a few floating around the place with a few yeah, opinions. Yeah. Well, when I meet my father and he's five All Ireland club medals, like so, so <laughs> he's the first one I meet. Like so, it's fairly tough going, but it is the bar- barometer. Like you know, I suppose we're top of the roll of honour there as well. Obviously, having won one since two thousand and three, you know, for, for a fellow like me, it'd be a dream, dream come true. Like, it'd be the ultimate. So, um, that's it. Yeah, like you, you could. We're still. We have a massive test set against Loch Neil, so uh, we can't afford to get ahead of ourselves. Like we didn't get ahead of ourselves yesterday. We just worked out, worked hard for for the hour, and we'll, we'll do the same hopefully in February. Yeah, and one of the guys that uh, would have impressed anyone watching yesterday on TG Carr was Luke Connolly, and he, you know, he's the sort of fellow we've seen him do brilliant things for Cork. But it can be it can be flashes with Luke. But yesterday he was just outstanding. Ten points, uh, four from yeah. play, four frees, two forty fives. Like he he kind of did it all for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what he's probably after bringing to his game. Everyone knows him. Like growing up in, in the city and stuff, he'd be very much known as a very kind of stylish footballer. But his work rate has has gone through the roof. I think, and that's what's brought him on another level. Obviously, his work rate and tackling has improved, but his work rate off the ball to show for the ball and create space. I think that's what's taken him up, and <clears throat> people are starting to notice now. And a big thing for Luke as well probably would have been consistency and I think to have that baseline of you know that work rate no matter what I do in the ball but if I work that hard 
I think that's helped him to be consistent. Do you know what I mean? So um, he's like he, he really kind of he's kind of leading our, leading light in the forward line at the moment. So yeah, he's he's shown great stuff, and like you'd hope, and now we can bring it on with Cork again, just again bring that consistency whenever we get back with Cork. So. Um, yeah, he's great, great lad, and he's great for the club. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Cork there, uh, and in ways, you know, a, a success like this uh, for a county that uh, have been struggling over the last couple of years, a big club success, can often be the sort of thing that everyone can celebrate. But would it be fair to say that Nemo's relationship with other clubs in Cork means maybe it's not celebrated in the same way that maybe you know Finbar's beating Crokes yesterday would be celebrated? Would that be fair enough? Maybe, but um, I think just, you don't care. I think, I, I think, yeah, no, yeah, but I think I think we actually got a lot of Cork support yesterday. I remember we played Crokes in twenty ten in Mallow, and we had a lot of local support. Sport. I think it just comes down to Cork v Kerry, and maybe Crokes are the most Kerry team in the lot. Do you know what I mean? So people <laughs> yeah. kind of jump on that. But like, I got messages from people, loads of people from other clubs. They were very happy, and like we have a small crowd, but it felt like we had a big crowd yesterday. But um. I think it's just good for Cork because Kerry have had us had us in every grade, like you know, club minor, 21, senior, you know, so it was, it was nice to maybe break that momentum and look at fellas can take from it from the county scene, then, then so be it, like, but uh, I think it was just, it was an important win for Cork, all right. Yeah, Paul, you've got a you know, a new manager for next season for the, the Cork County team, and I'm sure you'd make the right noises now if you start asking about what's going to happen next season, but you'd probably be fed up with talking, it's, it's important for Cork to go out and, I guess, get back on the road next year. Definitely, like, um, I suppose the ultimate goal would be to try maybe be a top four team and when you're a top four team you're playing in division one winning provincial championships and getting around the semi-finals so that's what I'd like us to get to do you know what I mean get to that level again so yeah. we'll have to take a step by step people kind of assumed we were going to get out of division one straight away last year it didn't happen so um, hopefully that's the first goal obviously now we'll probably miss a few league games but um, yeah look I think they're training away nice and quietly like, for the last three four weeks or so so um, this is where they kind of put in the hard yards really and uh you know, I'd be just hopeful to get a good start at the league, especially in the new park. Do you know what I mean? You're probably playing four home league games there in the new park, so to get get in the winning note there would be would be really good. Well, listen, Paul, sounds like you're enjoying your football. Great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thanks, million lads. So, see if you don't get out with Motherwell, you're away, mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got my teddy boots here in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get out, get out! the biggest fool in Manchester Ooh, Murph you went for it I would have said the second captain's member least likely to curse on air there was context though so you felt I, I felt there was context yeah. on you know I mean it's not just that I, I have to make the point that they're Nemo Rangers I mean you know they're yeah. fucking Nemo Rangers you know what I mean Gee, he's doubling down <laughs> this is disgraceful <sighs> sorry Ken sorry I can see the disappointment in your face I well, apologize what's, what's going on here well, no, 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 no. Nah, Monday morning. No, 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 no. Monday morning. Murph once chided me, I believe, for cursing on air in in a similar manner, and and <laughs> had a sort of superior attitude. There's no need to nest, there's no need to curse I'm to not make the point. But what's going on? Not why? I why? don't want to talk about it, Ken. No, but why after after uh, after all these years, why do you suddenly start doing this? 
it's Monday just, morning. Come on. No, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's nearly December, you know. These GA games are still going on. <laughs> Come on, like, you know, can we just take a break, you know? Yeah. Every Sunday afternoon I have to sit down and watch Curfin, Castle Bear. Bloody thing goes to extra time, you yeah, know? Yeah, I've yeah. got to live my life, you know? I've got a ah. dog, I've got a wife, yeah. you know? These you, people, you used you know, to work three months a year, Ken. Sports journalist. You know, it just doesn't stop. Sports. Just around the clock, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, I shouldn't bring my frustrations into, into the office. It's not professional. Or onto the airwaves. No. Or indeed on pod waves. More particularly, not on, onto the internet. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But I, sometimes it just, it just snuck out there. Okay. I'm sorry, Ken. I'll try and do better. Yeah. But of course, there are another two games live. <laughs> or live and then delayed coverage on DG Car December 3rd. But you know, it's fine. It's not a problem. If your kids are listening, close your ears. for the Seriously, the shut the fuck up tonight. Thanks, it Ken. Was, Simon's hot. He's hot keen. Cuss words left, right, and center here. Hockey is word. Total, total totally different. different. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank Thanks you. Thanks, Thanks everyone. See you during the week. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 